Welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. And first, I have to explain a couple of things. Uh, I'm clearly not sitting in where I usually sit uh, when I do Drilling Deep. I'm on the road this week, and I'm in a hotel room in London, actually. The other point is that uh, the, the interview of the week was recorded last week. So when you see me in a few minutes doing the interview, I'm going to look totally different. At least I'm going to be dressed totally different than I'm dressed now. So I just want you to understand. But that doesn't take away from our interview of the week. It's with Zach Callahan. He's the executive director of the Truck Safety Coalition. With him is Jennifer Tierney. She's on the board of directors. This is an organization that is dedicated to the idea of promoting truck safety. It's viewed as sometimes having an adversarial relationship with the trucking sector. They're going to talk about that in the interview in just a few minutes. Just want to remind everybody that we call the show Drilling Deep because we also start every week by talking about oil and we talk about diesel and you need to drill for oil to get oil to make diesel. So because I've been traveling, I've been trying to keep on the market as best as I can. I can tell you that the, you know, the Chinese saying is that may you live in interesting times. And I can tell you that right now as a diesel consumer, these are really interesting times. After, after declining for 14 out of 15 weeks, the Energy Information Administration weekly price published by the Department of Energy rose 38.8 cents when it was published on Tuesday. It was a day late this week because of the Columbus Day holiday. Let me note that 38.8 cents is the third biggest increase ever in the history of this series that goes back to 1994. Let me also say that to find an increase that big, you have to go all the way back to March. Yes, the three biggest increases in the history of this series, this series have all taken place in the last seven months. So that's why I say you're living in interesting times. We all know that the root cause of the increase has been, uh, been the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Though, to be honest, most reports indicate that the crude oil lost out of the, uh, out of the, the various embargoes that companies and countries put on have mostly kind of run their course. The embargoes are still in place but the Russians have managed to find new customers. So that's not a real big issue. But what we're dealing with is the kind of hangover from those days when there was less production, there was less oil to refine, there was less diesel coming out of Russia, and you continue to have very tight inventories. I know you've heard me say this in prior weeks, but it has to be noted because I think really that is what it continues to drive the diesel price. And I think this is one of the reasons, this is really the primary reason, well, the futures price of diesel over the last, I think it's about eight trading days, has risen almost 80 cents. This is Thursday with the big increase that was posted Thursday. You're looking at about 80 cents. Actually, you're, you know, you're starting to move in on being up a dollar in just the last two weeks. This is really incredible. There's not much going on in terms of news, but you've got that tightening of inventories that continues. The inventory for ultra-low sulfur diesel uh, last week rose by and then, excuse me, they didn't rise. They fell again to under 100 million barrels in the U.S. That's happened earlier this year. But if you go back in history, you've got to go all the way back to like 19, like 2014 for the last time they were consistently under 100 million barrels. So we're going into the winter with very tight diesel inventories. Remember that diesel is a distillate like heating oil, like uh, the European product called gas oil. So the market for diesel is very much impacted by a cold winter. We're still looking at uh, incredibly high refining margins. Uh, they look to be coming down, but now once again, you've got diesel being way, way above crude oil, far above its historic norms. And as I think I've expressed before, my concern is that because of structural changes in the market, 
including the, uh, the inauguration or the implementation of the IMO 2020 marine fuels rule back in 2020, but that's really kind of hitting the market now, that it's possible that diesel has moved to a more permanent, higher level relative to Brent than it was previously. That may sound like kind of, kind of some esoteric trader thing, but believe me, if that price has moved up consistently above crude oil more than it was historically, ultimately you're going to pay that at the pump. And speaking of payment at the pump, even though it may have looked rather amazing that we had that 38 cent increase in the DOE price, we here at FreightWaves measure the difference between wholesale prices and retail prices in something called the fuels, fuels.usa spread. It's a data series in Sonar. Uh, it was up to about like $1.50, $1.60, really for months, indicating that retail prices had not fallen very hard relative to the decline in futures prices and the decline in wholesale prices. That number actually recently dropped well below a dollar. So even though the price of retail uh, retail diesel is up significantly, as, uh, as you can see in the, the weekly DOE EIA price, it has not risen as much as the increase in futures prices and wholesale prices. So I know this is exhausting. This is head spinning. If you're a diesel consumer, you, you want a nice, it's not so much that you just want low prices. You want a steady price because then there's some consistency. Then you can plan. Guess what? You better going to have to wait for it because it's not happening anytime soon. Time to move on here now on Drilling Deep for our part two. And yes, I'm dressed differently than I was for the first part of that because I taped the set, recorded the second part of it like a week ago, and I recorded the first part just recently. So anyway, that's why I look different and my background looks different. So anyway, the Truck Safety Coalition is our guest today here on Drilling Deep. They do pretty much what the name says they do. They focus on truck safety. But it's a grassroots organization that's made up of people, many of whom have suffered losses due to a crash involving a truck. It has probably been viewed as mostly having an adversarial relationship with the trucking industry. I love having guests like that. I like to stir things up sometimes. Anyway, that's why we wanted to bring them on Drilling Deep. Our two guests are Zach Kahalen. He is the executive director of the Truck Safety Coalition. He's in the D.C. area. And also Jennifer Tierney, who is a board member. She's in North Carolina. So, Zach and Jennifer, thanks for joining us today on Drilling Deep. It's our pleasure. Thanks for having yeah. us. So, Zach, TSC, do you, do you go by TSC, by the way? Certainly. Uh, that's our acronym, right? Uh, TSC, Truck Safety Coalition. You got it. Yeah, okay. So why don't you talk a little bit about its history? I know that it's a, I think it's a relatively new organization, you know, compared to some organizations that have been around 50, 60 years or more. I think you're fairly recent. So why don't you talk about it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, roughly 30 years old. Uh, it's actually the coalition of two organizations who care about improving safety uh, in, in the trucking space. And that would be Citizens for Reliable and Safe Highways. Uh, as well as Parents Against Tired Truckers. That is uh, the coalition. Uh, and we, we work together to reduce the instance of crashes overall, uh, but specifically uh, to drastically reduce uh, fat fatal crashes and those resulting in serious injury. And really what drives us, and why I'm so glad Jennifer is able to join us, is the experiences of crash victims themselves. Uh, we, we feel those closest to the problem should have a voice in resolving it. And they do drive what we do based on the, on the nature of the tragedies they have experienced. It really informs how we move forward to best represent their voice and amplify uh, their ability to, to speak and request for change. 
Jennifer, I'm sure that this is not a pleasant topic, but can you share your story about how you came to uh, came to be active in the Truck Safety Coalition? Absolutely. Um, back in 1983, um, my dad was killed in an absolutely horrific side under rod crash. Um, he was on a rural road, and a truck driver was in a jackknife position in a curve. At that time, there were no reflective. There was no reflective tape. And the lights, the three little round lights on the side of the trailer were not working. So as my dad came through the curve, he hit the side of the trailer, went all the way under it, came out 41 feet on the other side. He lived about 20 minutes, but as you can imagine how horrific this crash was, really the only thing between his head and the side of that truck was the windshield. So he died of massive head injuries. They tried to get an airway established, but all the bones in his face and neck were broken and they couldn't. And um, this was the first time that I had ever even thought a lot about tractor trailers on our roads. And so this set me off um, on a pattern of trying to, to figure out why this happened, why the lights weren't operating, why you couldn't see the trailer better. And um, in the early 1990s, I joined CRASH. Um, I was asked by Joan Claybrook and, and uh, Jackie Gillen to join the organization. I was the first victim-survivor board member for this organization. And it was the first time of all the work I've been doing that there was somebody that genuinely cared about what happened to my dad. They felt that it could be corrected. They felt it should be corrected. And it has been a lifesaver for me and my family because you take something that has destroyed your life. And if you can make it better, and if you can make it to have not been in vain, it, it's, it, it's, it's the difference between sanity and insanity. And all of our um, organization is made up of victims and survivors of truck crashes. And these crashes, I lost my dad. We have victims and survivors that have lost children. We have some that have lost all their children, all in a truck crash. So this gives us purpose to keep moving forward. And it is our issue and it is our cause. And if we, the victims and survivors, do not care enough to work as hard as we do to change it, then who will? And that's why you will find the most devoted group of volunteers you have ever seen in your life within our organization. Jennifer, thank you for sharing that story with us. You mentioned Joan Claybrook in there. I think Joan Claybrook is probably the best known name of anybody in traffic safety for yeah, 40 years, maybe more. Um, she was, I believe, the head of the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration in somebody's administration. I don't remember who. And she truly is a legend. Oh, no doubt. We are we are fortunate to have her uh, involvement as a board chair of CRASH. And there are many, many, many uh, uh, people who are alive today who have no idea uh, that perhaps the reason for that is some of the work that she's done, both as an administrator in the Carter administration and beyond in some of her work in, in, in consumer protection space not only truck safety, but, you know, passenger vehicles and many other organizations as well. Now, Zach, I opened up this discussion by saying that you had somewhat of an adversarial relationship with the trucking industry, and I was maybe oversimplifying for the purposes of introduction, but I do want to explore it. I mean, normally organizations like yours seek to build bridges where they can with an industry uh, or another group that they might find uh, normally at odds with over certain issues. Where would you say is your relationship now with groups such as the American Trucking Associations, the Truckload Carriers Association? Yeah, I mean, I think the way I would, I would answer that is simply, we're a mission-driven organization. What drives us, first and foremost, is saving lives and reducing injuries from truck crashes. 
Uh, and as well, outreach to victims uh, to help them in their journey post-crash, which is incredibly difficult. Uh, that's a big part of what we do uh, and to invite folks into our community. Uh, but it's worth mentioning that <clears throat> eight to 900 truck drivers are dying every year on our roads. Uh, that's unacceptably high. Every year, the Bureau of Labor Statistics has truck driving as a top 10 deadliest profession. So the state of safety in the trucking industry, in our view, is unacceptable and deplorable for the truck drivers, as well as all roadway users. And we're going we're gonna to take that energy wherever it takes us. So on some issues, we find ourselves uh, you know, agreeing with OIDA and on other issues, sometimes the ATA doesn't oppose, you know, it just depends on, on what the issue may be. You're going to have natural, if you will, allies and enemies. But what drives us is what does safety require? And, and I don't mean that in a way that's unreasonable. And I think often the rub comes uh, from some portions of industry, I won't name names, is, well, we emphasize efficiency that, you know, that safety can support, but we don't want to compromise efficiency as we look to incorporate safety is sometimes I feel the attitude uh, that, that, that comes out. And I would just point out one of our, our most recent things that we've come out and vociferously supported is the Got Truckers Act, which again, this is one of those things that is divisive within the industry, some support, some don't, but from a perspective of safety, we, we think it's, it's brilliant. Uh, this seeks to remove the. Yeah, can, you, can, you talk, can you talk about that act a little bit and what's, and what's in it? Can you talk yeah, about exactly. that act and what's it's, in it's it? It's quite simple. It looks at the Fair Labor Standards Act and says, let's re remove the overtime exemption uh, that is spe specific to the motor carrier industry that does not make them eligible for, for, for overtime. And, and some could argue is a misclassification, particularly the way that truck drivers uh, are, are treated today. And I don't think anyone would argue, certainly we wouldn't, that this is not a difficult job. It's largely a low paying job, uh, particularly in the, in, the, in the long haul sector with difficult working conditions and perverse incentives that almost encourage drivers to, to take unsafe actions or to drive fatigued or to speed because there's no consequence to wasting a truck driver's time. And research has long shown, this last thing I'll say on this, is that when you do address pay and benefits for a driver, safety outcomes improve. And so let's get that done. Let's talk about what you think are some of your accomplishments. If you look over the last, I don't know, 10 to 20 years, uh, battles that you have been active in and regulations that resulted from, you, from your activities, what do you kind of mostly claim as your, 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 top, your top win? Sure, there's some rich traditions there. I'm going to invite Jennifer to speak on it, but it's a, it's a nice segue because some of these wins, I think, cemented what I would say is an unnecessary view that uh, the Truck Safety Coalition is against trucking or against truckers um, when, when really, you know, we're, we're for safeties. For example, if we're going to um, be against longer, heavier trucks like twin 33s because data demonstrates that results in more severe and more frequent crashes, um, that, you know, that necessarily is something that some elements of industry don't like and don't appreciate. Um, so again, we think it's a, a bit of a misnomer. We just want to see people live on the roads. But Jennifer, you've been around a long time, a veteran, not saying you're old, uh, but you've seen a lot of our greatest hits, and I think you're well positioned to speak to it. 
I, I just want to ask specifically about something. Uh, you know, obviously we had the underride limiters in the back of trucks. Uh, there's been a battle over side uh, underrides. Jennifer, it sounds like the accident that took your father's life might have been, certainly would have been horrific, but it might have been somewhat less horrific and maybe even survivable if there had been side underrides on that on that truck. Um, absolutely. Um, the, the first thing after uh, uh, my dad died was I did work on the reflective tape issue because uh, at that time there was no technology for side underride guards. And I felt like if there were more lights and reflective tape, he would have stood a chance of seeing the uh, trailer blocking the road. And so um, we did get reflective tape required on all trucks. And that certainly was a start to trying to correct the underride problem. We've certainly worked very hard over the years as well for strength and rear underride guards. And um, we, uh, we, and also those guards now have to be inspected because, you know, I, I'm sure we've all driven down the road. You see them, they're falling off, they're bent, they, they're clearly damaged. They now have to be inspected. So all those with regards um, to underride are victories for us. And then also IIHS did test um, side underride guards at uh, 35 and 45 miles, uh, 40 miles per hour. And um, they did work. And my dad, they estimated his speed at 42 miles an hour when he hit this truck. Now that technology was not available then, but it's available now. And it's heartbreak, heartbreaking and gut-wrenching to victims and survivors when they find this out, but yet it was not on the truck that their loved one hit and caused um, you know, their crash, because these are horrific crashes. Um, they are incredibly violent and a lot of fatalities. Um, they're also underreported, which we're working on getting, uh, you know, that situation corrected as well. But some of our other uh, victories have been automatic emergency braking. Certainly the goal is to have it on all trucks, but we certainly have it on the larger trucks. That was a great victory for us. We have continually battled the size and weight issue. Um, because as, as common sense would tell you, the larger, the heavier the truck, the more violent the crash is and, and the more crashes there are. And so that's an issue that, that I feel that we've worked very hard and been successful um, uh, controlling size and weight. Um, we have aggressively worked on hours of service issues um, again, because obviously I, I don't think that, you know, it takes a lot of common sense to understand how... Um, you know, the longer they drive, the more, um, op, you know, the more the chances are that they're going to fall asleep or be inattentive because they're fatigued. Uh, we also, um, uh, ELDs, um, that was one of the things that we worked on that, that happened. And then one of the big things, um, and, and I do like to remind everybody of this, when they made the new agency, uh, the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, the victims and survivors of truck crashes pushed and worked and begged for that agency to put the word safety. That is what their mission is, is safety. So it is the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration. That may not mean a lot to someone who's never been through this, but for those of us that have, those that have lost multiple members in one crash, that meant a lot for us. And um, this organization um, is, 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 means the world to us. And I do think we, we just were in Washington. We were on the Hill visiting with our members of Congress and we have made a difference and we continue to make a difference. But I want to be real clear about one thing. We care about all victims and survivors of truck crashes, whether it be passenger car occupants or whether it be truck drivers. Uh, as Zach's already stated, the number of drivers that die is horrific and we support them as well.
Let me ask you about hours of service rules. Obviously, there were some modifications uh, recently, but otherwise, are you happy with the hours of service rule, or do you want? Are you looking for some tightening? Oh no, I mean, I wouldn't say we're we're, we're happy. We were pleased with the uh, Obama era uh, strongly research based rules that were proposed. Uh, they were then uh, rolled back um, in a number of different areas, including the the, the rest break. Uh, and you can work during a rest break, so it's not really uh, rest uh, in, in our view. Um, you know, given that fatigue, and this is something we just heard from Administrator Hutchison and Secretary Buttigieg uh, on, a, on a truck parking uh, webinar, which we support, uh, that is a safety issue, the need for truck parking. Uh, but, you know, that aside, uh, they acknowledged <clears throat> that driver fatigue is an issue in, in, in well-rested drivers are foundational. For safety on our roads. And so we're not, um, I guess, trying to say we're not in the outlier or the exception in recognizing, uh, as does the NTSB, that fatigue is a contributor in most truck crashes. Uh, so with that being the case, we certainly are not happy to see those rollbacks to something that went through a really rigorous process, not only to be proposed, but to become a final rule. And then flippantly, and I would, I would submit not really well justified uh, changes and in, in simply to say, well, we don't think this has an effect on safety. I, I don't know how it couldn't. So we get that that's a sticking point uh, with a lot of drivers. I get calls from drivers or, or you know, Facebook messages, all sorts of, of things. And, and we often have, have interesting and, and solid conversations. And I think the rub comes on an individual basis. You know, there are obviously very safe drivers do a great work who, who know themselves and, and think that they should have more freedom to make those decisions. And I, you know, I, I can understand where someone comes with that perspective. But we're talking about minimally regulating an industry that has over a million carriers, three and a half million drivers. And when you start to, you know, build that up in aggregate and you weaken these rules, the opportunity for more crashes to occur is simply not worth the cost. Let me ask you about, we mentioned FMCSA, there is a new administrator there after a revolving door in the top spot there, Robin Hutchison. Have you met with her or spoken with her and or do you know of her background and what, do you, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, we have. Uh, Jennifer, would you like to share a few words um, to start? Um, fortunately, we have met with her, um, and um, I found her to be um, very sincere, and I think um, she actually participated in our SAR to Strength uh, conference, and I found her to be very sincere, and I think she left the victims and survivors with a very positive uh, feeling about where this was headed, and so she's been, so far, very generous with her time. Um, we know that um, she's new. Um, but we're anxious uh, to get some of these issues um, done. And, but I do feel we have her attention, and I do feel that, that she was very uh, positively responsive to the victims and survivors. And I think that she clearly understood when she was in that room the damage and the loss of life and the lives ruined and, and lives that will never be the same because these crashes are so horrific because the trucks are so much bigger and heavier than passenger cars. So... I'm very optimistic. Yeah, and I, I, I would just say... Let me we, ask we you do, about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's simply that we do meet regularly uh, with Administrator Hutchison. And 
Um, she's very open to hearing what our concerns are and, and you know, having discussions on, on ongoing issues of interest. So, you know, we, we appreciate that. Um, we recognize that she comes from a, a background, a safety background through all, many of her stops to include at, at DOT uh, and, and primary uh, author of the National Roadway Safety Strategy. So, um, you know, she certainly gets and believes in the need for safety. And I think, and I would say this really for anyone, not just a government agency like uh, FMCSA or NHTSA, you know, the question is, what is the cleanest, most effective path forward to make some of these common sense reforms uh, to increase, you know, safety on our roads and drive down those deaths and injuries? And, and that's really, again, like I said before, that's where our focus is at. And, and that's where we're always going to be pushing. Let me, we don't have a lot of time left, but speaking of rules, there is a uh, comment period open now. I believe it's still open on uh, speed limiters. And uh, I looked at some of the comments and you can imagine from the truck drivers and some of the associations, they are vehemently opposed to it. Uh, and my guess is that you would be in favor of it. Where does the process stand on that? And what are some of your views? Yeah, I know it's very early. Uh, that was a, a supplemental notice of proposed rulemaking, if I, if I recall correctly. So we certainly commented. Uh, on that, and really, what what I'll say, and I and I hope this makes it just tre- tremendously clear for people, we regulate the speed on an electric scooter uh, in a in a city. Uh, we regulate the speed of e-bikes, and for some unbeknownst reason, we seem to be unwilling to entertain the idea of re- regulating the speed of eighty thousand pound vehicles that 97% of the time that there's a fatal crash involving one of these vehicles, the passenger vehicles, occupants die, one or more. Um, it, I, I find it remarkable that this hasn't already been done knowing that these uh, speed limiters uh, have been installed on, on rigs for years. This is not a new, a new technology. And when the initial proposed rulemaking years ago, I think it was 2016, if, if memory serves me correctly, FMCSA, that was, might have been a joint rulemaking, and NHTSA provided calculations for at certain speeds, what is the estimate for the number of lives that will be saved? And so there's no confusion. It's very black and white what the benefits are. And it's not insignificant if we cap on the maximum speed, say, at 65 miles an hour or 60 miles an hour, we can see what that does. And in our calculus, it's clearly worth, uh, you know, the, the cost of not being able to travel as fast. And this gets to, you know, I wanted to ask Jennifer this, if it's okay. Jennifer, when you started the, the, uh, the reflective tape mission and succeeded, was that quickly accepted by industry or was it, was it opposed or in, in, in fought back then? Um, there was pushback due to the cost, but it was a very weak argument because the cost was so little for the tape to be on the truck. So there was some and, pushback. And that's exactly what I wanted to hear you say. I assumed that was true. And so when you're talking about industry, and I, and I know this, is, this comes back to this kind of needlessly adversarial, perhaps us maybe being cynical. When you have industry pushback on the cost to apply tape to a truck, you know, that tells me all I need to know about how they view um, the cost of safety in their operations. So we're going to, you know, we're going to push for this on the speed limiters. From having watched Washington for all these years, this is what groups do. 
One group says do this, the other group takes an adversarial position. And if they don't, if they just agree to everything up front, then they're not going to have any leverage. So you can understand why one group opposes it and they say, okay, we can eventually compromise somewhere in the middle. Yeah, but we're compromising so anyway, uh, and, then, and, that, and that's, that's, uh, that's not, that, and for us, that's what makes it so personal and so difficult. But, you know, you, you raise a fair point, John. Yeah, well, let's let's talk about this some more later on on Drilling Deep in a future edition. So we want to thank our guest today, Zach Kahalen, the executive director of the Truck Safety Coalition, Jennifer Tierney. She is a board member. Sounds like you've been there pretty much almost since the beginning, Jennifer, right? That's correct. Yeah. So thank you for joining us today on Drilling Deep. You have, been, you have been watching Drilling Deep. We are part of the Freightcast family of podcasts and one of the shows on Freightways TV. You can find us on all the major podcast platforms, and you can find us on Freightways TV. A new edition drops every Friday afternoon. I've been your host, John Kingston, and please join us again.